Joe presents Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, together with Guinness. Hello and you're very welcome to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, here on Joe, together with Guinness. We are live from Café on Seine in Dublin's fair city. Thank you. We've got a very, very special uh, night ahead tonight. We've got some wonderful guests to preview and talk us through this coming weekend's Guinness Six Nations, uh, none more so than Ireland and England in Twickenham on Sunday. We have an Australian international and a Leinster stalwart and legend, uh, babysitter and father figure to all those little D4 brats, <laughs> Scott Fardy. <laughs> Uh, and we have the Ireland captain from 2010 to 2014, uh, World Cup semi-finalist and regular on RTE, Fiona Coughlin. So I think everybody's getting very excited. We've also got the ever-present and impressive Jerry Flannery, who will be on to regale us of his tales playing against England. Uh, one in particular uh, I want to talk to him about is why he called Steve Thompson a fat uh, in Twickenham uh, and for what reason that happened. So uh, we will get to that. that nowadays, would you? No, you, I think his mother came down pretty hard on him, but I think uh, the rest of the world would come down pretty hard on you know, Nowadays, so. you'd have to say, your BMI was large. Yes. <laughs> uh, your BMI was above 30, mate. <laughs> Well, look, we'll ask him when he gets here. He's a potty mouth, Fla. Yeah. But he's tidied his image up a little bit since then. He's got a family now, so look forward to hearing about that transition. Mm. Anyway, yeah. penguins. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I can't believe, like, we threw that out. We threw it out one episode off the cuff. We were like, can we think of a more derogatory way to describe <laughs> the people who like our show? And we came up with penguins. <laughs> and you love it. Why do you love it so much? I, I met a penguin at the traffic lights in Castle Troy the other day, and uh, he's like, I'm a penguin, uh, Tim the penguin. Um, and he, he, I was walking the twins, and he, was, he looked into the pram as if to just make sure that I wasn't telling lies about having twins. He was like, I was like, yes, they're, they're there, they're alive, they're breathing. Look, I was like, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I... I, I, I I don't think we have found a reason why to give Penguin of the Week, but I'm just going to give it to Tim for being uh, a nice penguin. So thank you, Tim. That Penguin of the Week goes to you. Uh, but have you all had a nice Valentine's Week, Penguins? Yeah? Valentine's Week, is that not a big, uh, is that not a big, big deal in your, in your diaries? The only reason it's a big deal in my diary is because I've spent a lot of time with Barry over the last um, couple of years, and uh, my wife, Anna is jealous. <laughs> and rightly so. It's, rightly so. It's very special. So she said, listen, Valentine's night, we're getting a big night out and we are going to see Dirty Dancing at the cinema. And I thought, brilliant. Dirty Dancing. Do you remember, if anybody listened into the Cork episode, the Cork live show, um, Barry did a whole big, a whole big spiel about Star Wars and the, the penguins were just eating out of the palm of his hand. What's penguin food? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever penguin food is, that fish. was fish. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's pretty obvious actually. I got bogged down in detail, but he finished up and he was in flow. He was just killing it. Everything he said, they were hanging on every word. I stopped, stopped. And he finished up and he came over to me afterwards. And I, I just went and I felt like the father in um, Dirty Dancing. 
And I said, Barry, you were wonderful out there. <laughs> <laughs> After the final dance of the summer. So Dirty Dancing has been on my, on my radar a bit. Um, and uh, so Anna said, we're going to Dirty Dancing for Valentine's night. Halfway through, <laughs> halfway through the movie, I said she's jealous. She turned to me and she goes, you better not be thinking of Barry, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and were you? I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he rang me the next day. He was like, man, have you seen Dirty Dancing? And I was in the doghouse. This was a Saturday after Valentine's Day, and I got on the piss the Friday night with my mates uh, on Valentine's night, thinking because we kids and stuff that I didn't really need to make an effort anymore. When I woke up, she was really pissed off, but he was like, man, I went to Dirty Dancing with Anna last night. She loved it. You should, you should watch it with Orla. So I was like to Orla, we watched Dirty Dancing tonight. And uh, she was like, I'd love to do that. So I thought I was kind of making up for it, and then... I started taking notes while I was watching it, and she was like, what are you taking notes for? I was like... That's so romantic. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be perfect for the show on Monday. Um, so I started halfway through kind of thinking, am I baby or are you Swayze? Um, or are you Swayze, am I, am I baby? Or I, I, was keen, I was keen for you to be baby. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, I think... Um, I think you, I know you put, you're, you're keen that you've, you're kind of more edgy, you've got the, yeah. the piercings yeah. and you've got I hope you've music. all seen Patch or fucking Dirty Dancing or this is absolute wallop. Um, well, more importantly, you were it spoiling anyway. it. Yeah. <laughs> spoiling the ending. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Pat, um, Pat, you've got a role in Dirty Dancing. You're the father. I, was, I thought I was the father. Just so proud of Baby, but that doesn't work. We have to be the main two characters. Yeah. And Dirty Dancing. I, um, <clears throat> I've always loved Dirty Dancing. We used to watch Dirty Dancing on the, the under-21s World Cup when we were in Argentina. And can you imagine a, a team full of meathead rugby guys watching Dirty Dancing? Because the previous World Cup had played well, they got to the final. So um, <clears throat> we were staying at the same hotel as South Africa and New Zealand. They were staying at, at, at the, the third floor. They were just above us. We were watching Dirty Dancing. One of the lads was like, close the door if the spring box <laughs> walk past and catch us watching Dirty Dancing. It's, it doesn't bode well for the weekend. Uh, I, after um, the Cork show, uh, I, wanted to kinda, I wanted to find out what the one line was from the father. You were wonderful out there. You were amazing out there. I couldn't work out what it was. So I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and watched an hour of Dirty Dancing clips. And I was singing and dancing all the, way, <laughs> all the way to Dublin. And then it dawned on me. I was going to Dublin for a business meeting. My day job is selling software to sports teams. <laughs> and I should have been preparing for that meeting, but like I was moonlighting as this dirty dancing enthusiast. <laughs> I, I love it, how I'm rubbing off on you a little bit with my absolutely ridiculous analogies. But I have another one for you. <laughs> Uh, so the Star Wars one was a bit far-fetched, but this week I've gone with something uh, I think a little bit more for everyone. So I think you'll all remember when Trimby first came on the scene in 2005, it was like this new superstar from Ulster, and we were very excited about him. Then he kind of disappeared for four or five years. <laughs> but then Joe Schmidt came, and he saw something in him that no one else saw, and he became like his, his, his teacher's pet, almost like a pet, like a dog. Like, he saw Trimby as, a, like, a golden retriever, like, foolish and kind of eager and over-energetic that would just chase Conor Murray's box kicks all day and not give out about it. 
so he was like, he started building a little army of dogs. So Conor Murray was like this perfectly uh, pristine, beautiful French poodle with a beautiful posture. And he had this trick where he could kick the ball really high in the air. And then this energetic golden retriever just run after it with his tongue hanging out of his mouth and, and like just overexcited. But then they had to like train you out of dropping the ball back at Conor Murray's feet afterwards. Just... <laughs> Wanted to get a little pat in the head. Yeah, occasionally I would run up into the stand and I would like look at Joe and I would like roll over onto my back and wait for him to rub my tummy. <laughs> and he was embarrassed. He's like looking, he's going, go away from me, would you? Go away. We've got a test match to win pa, here. Pa, <laughs> Other pa, other pa. And then, yeah, I rolled on and it was like, Tyke Furlong is like that dog that you walk into someone's yard or of a farmer and they've got this dog that they've been feeding scraps off the table and you're like, the fucking size of the dog. <laughs> What have you been feeding him? Keith Earls is like that little rabbit Jack Russell that's outside the gate of a house just barking at you and you cross the road before you walk past his gate. Uh, Devin Toner is like uh, some sort of Irish wolfhound or... Uh, Sean, O'Brien. Sean O'Brien is... Um, he's lassie. <laughs> because no one understands what he says. <laughs> but then they just go, okay, dead on, that'll do, that'll do. <laughs> What's that, Sean? The kids are trapped down the old mine shaft? <laughs> okay, Sean. Nice one. Johnny Sexton is that boxer dog that's like fucking bit rabid. And uh, like he's at his best when you just let him be a dog. And he's like biting people and fighting and on, shouting at the ref. And like he's just drooling everywhere. <laughs> and then Joe Schmidt was like, no, I need to make you captain and I need you to be really polite and obedient. And you only shit when I tell you to shit and you only piss when I tell you to piss. And you take the superpower away from him because he's a dog. He just wants to be a dog. And that's why I think where Joe Schmidt got it wrong. He overtrained all his dogs and like brought them to Crufts, which is the World Cup, and made them run through all the little hoops. And they're like, "We just want to be dogs." And now, uh, who's the new coach? Uh, <laughs> Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell is uh, is like the real mountain dog man. There used to be a guy in Limerick called Willie Three Toes who used to walk around. Uh, with three toes, or else he was missing three toes, I'm not sure. And he had a load of dogs and goats, and he'd walk around, and it was mental, but everyone knew that the dogs loved him, so it was grand. So I think he's, I think that's what Andy Farrell is like. He's like East Ventura. Yes. He's, he's like, he's, he's, he lives in a one-bedroom apartment, and it's stinking, it's just covering like mangy, stinking dogs, just doing their thing. Yeah. Being proper dogs. Yeah. Shitting and pissing everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, all over England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being foul to England. Who well, came here thinking they might learn something about rugby? <laughs> well, do you know who was foul to England? Potty Mouth Fla. We get Flan. Jerry Flannery, ladies and gentlemen. We got there. We got there. Oh, he's come all the way from upstairs. Didn't he? Very unprofessional, aren't we? Mm. Any minute now. How, be- how beautiful is this place? It's unreal, isn't it? Here he is, Jerry Flannery! <laughs> so. <laughs> He's had enough. Was <laughs> <laughs> it something I. S- Genuinely. <laughs> something I said. Uh, take us back to that moment, 65th minute Twickenham. 1821 Ireland uh, are beating England. Scrum under the posts, under year posts, and you win a penalty. Nigel Whitehouse, I think, was the ref, gives you the penalty. 
and you come up out of it and go, that's twice, you fat Ah. Sorry. Ah, ah. Um, what exactly happened? Uh, what did he do twice? You can never be nice to me. I always pick out the stuff, the bad points from my career. Because generally, it, when you play a game for Ireland, you, your mum is delighted. But like, I played for Ireland, but then my mum was so disappointed that I'd <laughs> sworn and that I, you know, she was so embarrassed that I, the language I use as well, that hard C word that you use. Sorry. Last but it was, it was literally a case of, I suppose, I think I, got, I think I got in a box, and then I got another box, and it was a case of me just trying to get stuck into Steve Thompson and make as much noise as possible, because he is way bigger than me, and I was like, referee, get in here and break this up pretty quick. <laughs> so I was making as much noise as I could. Did so your mum tell you off? Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> Royal Nugent came on, and he just goes, oh, sorry about that language there from Jerry Flannery, and I was like, oh, he name-checked me as well. <laughs> <laughs> He told on you. So that's like an uppercut in the scrum where you're like completely defenseless like this. Yeah, I think it was actually Danny Grucock who did it in the end. And uh, I, I copped that afterwards. But it was too late. I couldn't, I couldn't take it back. I said, sorry, you're not actually at... Yeah. I just had to stick ah, with it. Yeah, look. People are... We want a little bit more dog in the, in the Irish team. So that's, that's a great example of it. So if they just go out and start doing that at the weekend... Uh, it can make a big difference. Yeah, it's like the dog. They say the smallest dogs make the most noise. Like a little <laughs> Jack Russell. That reaction, uh, you kind of throwing the toys out of the pram with Thompson, was similar to the reaction whenever I mentioned Justin Harrison on an episode a while back. And I wonder if, if those are those two, the two types of people that you have an issue with? or What do you mean by two types of people? Like, is, that, or is there a theme here? Because Stereo, the stereotypical Australian bogan, bogan, yeah, bit of a, a stereotype, yeah. Or I mean, Steve Thompson is a stereotype as well. He's, you know, he's he's that English kind of Cockney, overweight. And you did volley that French stereotypical player as well, the kind of lad with the flowing hair. Have you've you got an issue with stereotypes? No, but you've <laughs> created some sort of narrative where you <laughs> try to weld these guys into it and make out I have. Yeah, I think it's pretty conclusive you've got an issue with stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You heard it here first. Well, look, take us back to that game. Both of you were playing. Uh, I think everyone remembers that game very well as a Triple Crown win for Ireland. Um, Rogers chip, O'Driscoll gathers... Horgan makes a break. Lewis Moody pulls him down the corner. We play another couple of phases. Strings throws a, a pass over the top, and, and Horgan scores. Brilliant finish in the corner. Um, and, you know, I think that was the 78 minute, was it? Um, both of you were on the field. What was that piece of play like for you? Can you remember it, or was it just I hectic? <laughs> I wasn't on the field. Oh, you were gone? I got taken off. <laughs> okay. I, it wasn't actually, it was going very well for Ireland. It wasn't going that well for me. Right. It was going fine, but Dennis Hickey, I uh, think, came off the bench. Okay. And he was a lot better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, your memories of it? Uh, it was weird because it was my first, my first year playing international rugby. And I suppose I'd grown up, you know, the whole thing was beat England. That was, you know, that was a success for Ireland. It didn't matter if we lost every other game as long as you beat England. And um, I suppose we've been on a little bit of a roll, uh, you know, up to, up to that point. There was a triple crown on the line and... Uh, I think things just came together and it was, it can be, you know, I remember being in the dressing room before the game and looking around and seeing all the plaques that they have in Twickenham, you know, you're in Twickenham and obviously you're in Twickenham, you should know that, that's why <laughs> it's on the plaque. Yeah. But, 
you know, it was uh, for me as as a young lad growing up and, 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 you know, always seeing Ireland getting generally pumped when they went over there and then seeing the odd, the odd result. And it was such a big deal when we got a result there that when, you know, when, when, when Shaggy scored that try in the corner, it was phenomenal. I was like, I was buzzing off it. And then I suppose 2007 in Croke Park, probably the, my biggest memory for Ireland beating England as well. Um, what was the week like building into that, that game for, for you? Was it, was there something different about it because of being Croke Park? Obviously there was. Did I hear you, you had someone come in and kind of talk you through the history of the game that week? Or of, of, the, of the, uh, what had happened on Bloody Sunday that week? Uh, not so much. I think, I think it, pretty much everyone in the squad was aware of what happened on Bloody Sunday. But it was more a case of that there was so much stuff being put out in the media at the time about like... Uh, the, the protests at, at foreign games being allowed into Croke Park that we were basically briefed as players to not, you know, not throw petrol on the fire and go out and start talking about it. So we were trying to focus on the game and, you know, very much that, 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 was, that was where we were at. And um, then when we actually got to it, you know, like as mo- players are selfish and, and you, you just want to look after your performance but when we actually got to Croke Park, I remember like, thinking to myself, this is pretty special here. And uh, you know, for all the protests and all that happened, I remember being quite anxious about what was going to happen for the national anthems, particularly for the English national anthem, because you'd seen so many, so many images of people who were so, so irritated at the fact that rugby was being played in Croke Park that you just, you know, you're trying to focus on your, on, on your performance, but you're still thinking something's going to happen here. And, I think when God Save the Queen was sung and and there was you know there was it was it was respected. I think that was I remember it was a big big huge relief for for all of us really involved. And then to have like have our own Navian sung and and you know Ireland's call as well. Then it was I remember thinking to myself this is this is pretty special here because I, I would never normally sing the national anthem because I, I used to find it like I'd get emotional and then then I'm saying like if I'm not going to sing it in, in Croke Park. Like when, whenever you're going to sing it, and I, I just remember thinking it was it was a, this is really cool. And then as as the how the game unfolded, then was phenomenal. Like the yeah. the display that the players put on was incredible. Yeah. Um, what are your what you've I think one in five or six wins in Twickenham. Yeah. Uh, tough yeah. place to go. So uh, that time Shaggy scored 2006, and then. I think I've, I think I won. I was involved in a team that won one more. I'm trying to think if I was even. I, I, I often remember these things being on the sideline, and I'm not sure if I was 24th man if I started and got taken off, which happened quite a bit. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the context was, but um, 2007 was certainly very special. You know, I had my I had my jersey stolen. In 2007? Yeah, I, um, so obviously... After the Croke Park game? Yeah. So I knew, obviously, how significant it was, and it was such a big win. It was such a class performance. And um, I went around the change room and got my jersey signed by everyone. 22 it was, which, you know, Mm. not ideal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got signed by everyone, and I was like, this is is really significant. This is massive for me. This is a really big um, achievement being part of this. And I would look back, you know, and that was a very special memory and a special something to remember it with. And I stuck it into my bag and left it in Kalani Castle over the weekend. Came back in on Monday morning and the bags had all been rifled through. And it was stolen. Ah. Probably by someone in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Arsonists always return to the scene of the crime, so it could well yeah. have been. 
Uh, looking ahead to the weekend, um, the team was announced today, same starting 15. Um, Caelan Doris is the only uh, addition outside of uh, in the 23. Um, obviously, after the hiding we got in, in the Aviva last year, and then going to Twickenham before the World Cup, uh, took another big beating. It does still seem like we might be going into the weekend as favourites. Would that be, you know, I think that's somewhat on, on people's minds after what has happened over the last few weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I, I think, like, when you hear myself and Andrew talking about, like, our, our you know, our encounters with the English, with the English team, um, to now, I think there's a big, big difference off the back of Joe Schmidt's reign that worse before beating England was enough. Now I think that Irish teams, you know, they, they're looking to win championships and grand slams. And I don't think any of the Irish team will have any fear of going to Twickenham and getting a result. I think on the other side of it, I think the fact that Billy Vanapola is out, Mako Vanapola now seems to be out. Mm. Um, Manitoulagi could be, could be back in, will probably be back in. But I think taking the two Vanapolas out, th that, that has a huge effect because they're two, of, they're two of the best players in the world. And I think, I think Ireland have momentum now. They have momentum going into it. And I think if you... A, a really important thing is that if you try and put yourself in the players' position, the English players and the Irish players, the English players are disappointed off the back of their World Cup result. They, they, but anyone who supported England during the World Cup, you know, they'll have been really happy with how they performed because they played fantastic rugby. They got to a final they lost. So it's not like the English players are coming back saying, we've got a point to prove, whereas mm. the Irish players coming into camp now with, with, with Andy Farrell will have been coming in for this Six Nations saying, we, we, you know, we underperformed at the World Cup and we really have a point to prove to show that, that we're, we're that much better. And I think, you know, Ireland were probably had a bit of fortune in the first game against Scotland, but I thought the Welsh result was massive. And I think that Ireland will be going over now really, really hungry, you know, and I think that England are going to be weaker without the two Vanipolas. And I think that Ireland have got good momentum off the back of the last two results. Compare that to this time last year, whenever England came over, and they had a point to prove, and they spanked us. It just beat yeah. us out the gate, just because maybe the mindset, we were off the back of 2018, where it was so easy for Ireland. It just seemed to turn up, and it all just clicked. And then England just said, no, no, <laughs> we've had enough of that, and they were massively up for it. And there's a lot to be said about like, an emotional... You dig deep and you get emotional and you kind of bring out this massive physical performance, probably similar to what we talked about 2007. Mm. There's an emotional attachment to something and then a team's got a point to prove. And, and that, that's, probably, that's probably one of the challenges for Eddie Jones is to try and go, and I know we have, we have Scott Fardy here as well and, and Fiona, and it'd be interesting because they both would have come off the back of Fiona losing in a, in, a, in, a, in a World Cup semi-final, Scott losing in a World Cup final. And I'm keen to, you know, to hear what they're like. Someone has to highlight that and say, listen, there's going to be a lull now after this. We need, to, we need to go and find our hunger again. And I'm sure that that's a big challenge for Eddie Jones. I think he's tried to freshen things up a little bit in the squad. But, you know, their, their initial two performances would tell you that, you know, they haven't done enough there. And uh, I think, look, it's, 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 it, it bodes well for Ireland. Yeah. Uh, tactically, obviously, we kicked a lot last week against Wales at a nice variety of kicks. Um, is that something, you know, I think that's what England did when they came here last year. They put our back three under pressure, um, kind of got, got that momentum early in the game. Is that something that, that you think will work this weekend? Have we, have we got a similar mentality, or do, we, do you think they can, I suppose, change up the game plan according to who they play against, or is it 
I think looking at watching rugby all the time now, I think that the the teams that have the most rounded game plan that can that can use whatever tool is best to beat the opposition are the teams that 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 are most successful. I think Leinster, um, Leinster are a really good example of that. Like you watch them play against the Cheetahs there last week in in lashing rain, and they played a really effective kicking game, pressure game. But when the weather is good, they can move the ball around as well. And I think that you know I think Ireland have that scope. I think that you know if conditions are bad, if weather is bad, that Ireland can deal with that. But I think that they showed that they have they, they, they can move the ball around as well. So it's 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 never going to be just one thing. Mm. Like it's it's have the ability that if that if England are showing space in the backfield, that Ireland can exploit that. If England are ma- marking the backfield and the kicks aren't behind, aren't on, that Ireland are comfortable enough to move the ball. And I think that that's everyone wanted to see that progression from Ireland because we know how good the players are. And uh, you know I think that's okay. Well, I think we'll get um, some predictions. We have. Uh, if anyone have been tuning over the last few weeks, we've been using our match point Guinness point predictor, uh, which there is a few leagues that we're all involved in. I'm kind of kicking your ass at the moment. You're uh, dragging your ass, to be honest, which are your way down. Um, so basically, yeah. the idea is, uh, go on, talk us through it. Uh, okay, so we, we butchered this at the last live show. <laughs> I know you're all eagerly anticipating something similar. <laughs> uh, but what you have to do, it's not too late to get involved. Uh, You've got to just do the following. Download the Match Pint app and get on the Pint Predictor. Enter the House of Rugby League. Enter the code H-O-R-I-E. And then take a screenshot of you in the league and post it with the hashtag H-O-R-I-E. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Pat is then going to pick out uh, two winners who will be in with the chance of winning tickets to Ireland versus Italy in the Viva in a couple of weeks. That all right? Correct, Pat. Uh, we might do our pint predictors now, just to get it out of the way. So, uh, what's the first game of the weekend? Is it Wales and France? No? <laughs> we'll go with that one. Wales versus France. Uh, Wales, France. It's, that's really hard. I think, um, I think I'm probably going to look at Wales. I'm going to go Wales probably... 17 12 17 12 so that's wheels, wheels by 5 wheels by 5 mm. uh, I'm going to go France by 6 that's crazy nope <laughs> that's, that's your heart speaking not your head I'm telling you I'm, I'm ahead of you in the league I that's a man who's never played 6 nations <laughs> uh, I'm going to go uh, wheels by what did you say if you're going Wales, then I'm thinking I'm not going to change. <laughs> you've been rubbish so far. I said Wales by five. Wales by six. Okay. Oh, you coward. Uh, and <laughs> Italy, Scotland, start here. Where is this one? Where is this match on? Italy. <laughs> Scotland by 22. Scotland by... Gasps from the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's too dramatic. Scotland by 10. Scotland by 12. Scotland by 12. Okay. Mm. Uh, Ireland, uh, England, I'm going to go Ireland by seven. I don't think, I don't think it's going to have that scope. I think Ireland by four. England by two. Oh. Listen. He's, he's going for the homeland. <laughs> 
You can uh, listen. I've made two prank calls the last two weeks, and I'm <laughs> I'm very keen you're, not you're to make a third. Yeah. Uh, the, the, also, you can if you if you guess uh, the, the the correct score, or if you get uh, ahead within of someone in the league within three points, you win a point on the point predictor, or you can gift that point. Over thirty thousand points have already been won or gifted, so have a go at that. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be uh, back in about ten minutes. With, uh, with Scott Fardy and Fiona Cochran. Thanks a bit. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Okay, okay, welcome back to Cafe and Send in Dawson Street in Dublin. Flaz still with us, but let's uh, get some more guests on the show, shall we? Yes. Yes. Let's do that. We have a Leinster stalwart. He's made a massive name for himself in the last couple of seasons, um, dominating Leinster and leading by example. Uh, Scott Fardy. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, he's, he's coming from upstairs as well. Travelling from Australia. Hey, Scott. And we also have, and are delighted to have, a Dublin woman that has played all of provincial rugby uh, in Leinster, a holder of an unbelievable 85 test caps for Ireland and captain of the 2013 Grand Slam team, Fiona Coughlin. Here they are, come on, Pat. Hello there. Hello there. Howdy. Scotty. Thanks, mate. Nice, Scotty. Sorry. Oh, jeez. I was wondering how this was going to work. Scott, have you ever felt further away from Australia, uh, Sydney in particular, than you did in the piss and rain on Saturday <laughs> in the RDS? Yeah. Well, jeez, awful conditions, but uh, yeah. Um, all part of the game, though, isn't it? Like, it's a different way of playing the game, and... Um, once I recovered, it was, it was enjoyable, but yeah. uh, shivering. I was actually annoyed I came off because it was worse. When you're running around, it's all right, but uh, as yeah. soon as you stopped, it was, it was awful. But playing in those conditions and winning as well as you did in those conditions, you always think is something that comes with a lot of experience. Um, we had some young lads in the team that day, like Deegan, Frawley, Kelleher, um, that, you know, Luke McGrath, that are going out and just playing in those conditions and winning so convincingly. Uh, and under you know complete control, um, that was just I was blown away by that. Um, is that kind of the vibe in Leinster at the moment? There's guys that are coming through that are just have that much experience or ability. I, the young guys are just this unbelievable measured and unbelievable mature for you know for, at their age. You know I was still in the, in the nightclub at that stage. You know, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't ready to play the cheaters in the rain and 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 win. So boy, like. I thought we managed the game really well, and, and that was the key drivers in the 10, the 9s, and, and the line-out callers. Uh, Ross Maloney, I thought, was excellent. So, um, you know, those guys were fantastic. And it, yeah, as I said, they're just so mature and just so ready to perform at this level. So. Uh, Fiona, the girls, like, speaking of weather, the girls had a worse time uh, against Wheels a couple of weeks ago. 
hailstones. It was nice for 52 minutes and then it went drastically yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, it was horrific. Like I thought the ref might wait until 60 minutes and then call it, but it, oh, thankfully it cleared up a little bit, but it was miserable. I don't know how they played in it. Pat was so concerned that the girls weren't going to get a warm shower after the game. He came in, he was like, did you hear? <laughs> Didn't know it was massive news, Pat. Um, but the girls are going great at the minute. Yeah, look, it's after the last couple of seasons, they've been quite poor and um, they really need the three home wins this season and it kicked off well. The first game against Scotland, um, didn't, they played well for 20 minutes, but like luckily won it and then really good performance against Wales um, up against it now this weekend. But to be honest with you, I think the three home wins, the, that ranking, world ranking place is really important for the qualifying tournament for the next World Cup in October. So that's definitely what they'll be looking for. Just, um, I have to be honest because... I, I would have, because I would have coached against Scott for, for the last few years with Munster, and he's a guy I would have had massive respect for. At the time, I hated him because he was so effective for Leinster all the time, but I, getting to chat to him upstairs, there was a lot of things that, like, uh, there's had a lot of questions, and one of the ones, Scott, I want to ask you is, is, is your journey coming over to Leinster, because you've had such a massive impact on the province since you've come, but I'm sure that you know, you weren't short on offers to go to other clubs as well. And I wanted to see what your perception was of coming to Ireland because I'm sure you had a lot of your teammates as well probably had offers to go abroad. And I think the idea is that, like, if you pick a certain club in France and you chat to your, to your partner and say, listen, we can go here and we know that there'll be a ready-made group of maybe 10 to 12 foreign players and you can assimilate in with them straight away and, you know, the weather is going to be really nice and, you know... We can, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll cruise on through because I have a big profile, I'm a, I, you know, uh, as a marquee foreign player. But you, you went the other way, and I'm not sure if, if you were aware at the time that you were coming over to Ireland, the weather is miserable, like you saw last week. But also the fact that you're coming into a club like Leinster where when they sign a player, you've got all of these fantastic young players who are looking to see, they want to see you perform, they want to see how you prepare, and they want to see you know, a guy who's going to enhance the culture, which is obviously, you know, in the latter stages of your career, is an awful lot of pressure to put on yourself. Were, were you aware that you were opening yourself up for that? I put, no, I wasn't aware of that. Um, honestly, I was, like, I remember having the discussions about where we're going to go, and I was always to my wife saying, you know, I wanted to go overseas, and I wanted to play in Europe, and my wife was like, well, we should go to France, we should go to France, and she kept saying <laughs> it. I was like... I was like um, we were newly married, so I was like, uh, no, I don't really want to go to France because it didn't really interest me playing in France. Um, obviously, I, I, you know, there's room for that, and some guys love that kind of rugby, but um, from afar, we used to get a lot of French rugby on, on Australian television, and um, I'd watch about 20 minutes, and I'd just kind of get over it, so I'd, I'd kind of turn it off, and I, and I wasn't kind of interested in that game. And I've, I'd also heard other stories of guys who, who haven't had the best time in France, and... Uh, a um, number of guys, one of the older players that I played with have, hadn't had the best time there. So um, in terms of, a, you know, France is a great country and I'd, I'd love to live there one day, possibly. But um, I don't think they're going to take you at this stage. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, uh, but, no, uh, you're bagging them. Yeah. But um, I think, like, for me, it was about playing in the big, big games over here and, and still learning. I think it, and that's really important at my age, even that you're still learning things and and, and seeing things from a different perspective and, and coming to Leinster was, was great for that. You know, I came here and you know, we're competing for European you know, silverware every year and well, the last three years we've been here and obviously they made the semi-final the year before I got here. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what I want. You want to play in those big games and some of my greatest memories of, in my career have, have, have definitely been here and wearing the blue of Leinster. We had um, 
Ulster at one stage. Um, three or four years before I... <laughs> you heard of Ulster? Does <laughs> it ring a bell? Uh, we were trying to sign um, Victor Vito at one stage. And, uh, and apparently it was going well for a while. And then people started talking about how you know, he was chatting to La Rochelle. And I'd been in touch with Victor Vito because I was injured one year and he was injured. We both did like um, Rugby Players Association where we were the reps for the players. So I spent the day with him and kind of our director of rugby, Bryn Cunningham at the time, said, you, would you keep in touch with uh, Victor Vito? Uh, because <laughs> the reason why he was keen to go to La Rochelle is because his, his wife's a real foodie, you know, loves French culture, French food. Um, and then I was like, well, it's not really the same coming to Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> but he made me, um, our director of rugby made me send him two links to two Michelin star restaurants <laughs> in Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't fall for it. Yeah. Uh, and then I think he was the top 14 player of the season then the next year. <laughs> so I think he made the right decision. But um, whenever you were, you know, weighing up stuff, like what's, what was your impression of, of Irish rugby? I know we, we chatted about this a couple of weeks ago. Were you familiar with the like, first of all Six Nations or even kind of what was going to be required of you from Leinster? I actually toured here a long time ago in um, 2006. So we played, a, I was in the Waratahs Academy at the time, and we played at the Leinster A at that point. So I came here, and I, we spent three days on the piss after it, and I loved it. <laughs> so totally different experience. So we, 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 we played on the Sunday, and it was the, the kind of, you know, it was kind of, it was an academy tour, so, you know, it wasn't that well funded. We stayed in Army Barracks up in, um, in Belfast, and then we came down here. And we stayed in some hotel on the north side here, and we just loved, but we had like it was Freshers Week. Is it Freshers Week when yeah? <laughs> so we were like, this is great. Like, uh, so my idea of you've Dublin, got the, you've got the wrong yeah. impression of Belfast. Yeah, if you, uh, <laughs> you have to stay in an army barracks. Yeah, <laughs> we stayed in army barracks in Belfast. <laughs> we stayed down the road from Trinity yeah, when it was Freshers Week. So we had the it was Monday of the Freshers Week, and we were in. In the, in the bar in Trinity and uh, having a great time because we'd finished our tour. Um, so my impression of Dublin was, was I'd always enjoyed it and I enjoyed the people. Um, and obviously you meet a lot of Irish people in Australia as well. So, um, you know, I then came back here and played tests here as well and, and, and really enjoyed the country. And as always, surprisingly, everyone talks about the weather and I don't, I actually don't mind the weather. I know it gets wet and, you know, you know this, this month's particularly bad. But the summers are nice and there's lots of light in the day, so... Um, I've never had a tr- trouble with the weather at all. Mm. Fiona, you had a similar experience when you left Dublin and came to Limerick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Living the high life in Limerick. Movie. Similar move from Sydney to Dublin. Uh, uh, you came to college in Limerick. Uh, I remember it so well because uh, Fiona's team, the UL Bohemians team back then, won everything. They must have won... How many UALs did you win? Seven, eight, twelve? Twelve, sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and, well like, when I... <laughs> When I saw that Guinness ad uh, over the, the World Cup of the Japanese women's team who were pioneers, and, uh, and it, uh, that just, I was like, that's, that's what you were back then. You were pioneers for women's rugby. Um, your legacy lives on. I mean, uh, to have won the 2013 Grand Slam with, with all those players like Lane Campwell and, and, and Joy Neville and, uh, and just all those players you had and what you'd gone through, you epitomized for me... Uh, what it meant to be a rugby player and what it meant to be a teammate. And uh, you had a tough slog, what you had to do and how much traveling you had to do up and down from Dublin. And uh, just the camaraderie and the, 
the bond he had was something like so special. Um, can you talk me through through that? Was that a natural thing? Was that just a hard slog to get that? Is that what, you, what brought you close together? I suppose you don't really know how bad things are until you get better and you know the good things. Um, yeah, like the first couple of years, Bose actually, we were treated better than we were with Ireland. You know, UL Bose, um, they put us with really good coaches at the very start. Barry even coached us. <laughs> he got a f- only once he got a free weekend away to Denmark or I somewhere. I coached him in a sevens <laughs> tournament in Denmark. And they, they beat every team like 100 nil. And I, I had a whistle and a can on the sideline. Like, just, just give the ball to Joy Neville. <laughs> yeah, um, but like at the start, UL Bowes really wanted to be the best team in the country and they put really good coaches in place. Cosy was our first coach. And I think I kind of was spoiled for choice at the start having him as a coach and uh, the teammates around us like we were wooden spooners for the first couple of years like didn't know we scored a try against England I remember in Twickenham in 2004 it's where we'd won the game like they had 60 points on us or something we scored one try and we were jumping around the place but we could see progression every year yeah. and um, we had a really good core group of players you mentioned Joy, Lynn, Maz the likes of those that have been around for a number of years and then we got a few fresh faces every year and re- then we ended up with a really good management team uh, Goose was our coach and he you know he was really good at certain things but he knew his limits as well and he brought people in around him and they just were a really good management team and I remember 2012 we went to the south of France and we missed our connecting train from Paris down to the south of France because we couldn't fly to the south of France for whatever reason um, and we played the next day and the game had to be brought forward because the pitch was freezing and uh, we'd like two hours sleep on an overnight train that I thought would be like the Orient Express which it's not it's more like a cattle mart um, but anyway we actually played really really well that day and we lost by a point but when we got back all the media coverage because the media had never covered us before. All the media coverage was about the train journey and it pissed us off because we actually played really, really well and no one spoke about the game. And the girl was like, well, like, what do we have to do to get a little bit of rec- recognition? And I was like, we have to win. Now, I really didn't envisage us winning the next year, the Grand Slam the next year, but thankfully things kind of fell into place. We had some really good performances uh, and we did win the Grand Slam. Yeah. I mean, to go, yeah. <laughs> to, to go from that, like... At the start, lose, losing 70 nil to, to England, and then a few years later, beating them, winning a Grand Slam, them beating the All Blacks or the, the, the Black Ferns in, in, a, in, a, in a World Cup, and then losing in a semi final. I mean, that's an incredible journey. Um, you're obviously still very close to that group to uh, this day. Friends for life. Like, yeah. I, I think what you go through um, on a sporting pitch with those people, like, it was our life. Do you know what I mean? Um, they were your best friends and still are my best friends and I'd be on the phone every day to them through WhatsApp, whatever, and still really ingrained in the women's game and really passionate about it and where, where it's at. And um, yeah, like losing that semi-final to England. It wasn't so much losing the semi-final to England because we kind of had said to ourselves, look, our, our, where we should be is top four. And England are a better team than us, but it was our lack of performance on the day um, that was really cutting because we normally perform quite well against England, although we've only ever beaten them once. Um, we normally perform quite well against them, and we didn't. We just bombed out, um, and that, that was the gutting thing because uh, the whole country, in fairness, was behind us after beating, yeah. beating the Black Ferns, and to bomb out like that was really disappointing and then have to play a game four days later was even worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never imagine how you do that. What about, um, uh, from your perspective now, obviously... Um, doing a lot of commentating and watching a lot of rugby. Earlier on, you were saying you watch uh, one match every night, is that right? There, thereabouts, yeah, because I'm covering the women and the men's games and sometimes the 20s games, so you kind of have to 
be up, up to it, really. Monday morning, I walk into the studio and I say, Pat, did, did Austria win at the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, you were commentating. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's obviously life's so busy and you're obviously a full-time teacher as well. And um, Yeah, so you're, you're doing well squeezing it all in and you're doing an incredible job. Cheers. You're saying you're friends with life, are friends for life with the girls. Have you ever found yourself in a tricky situation where they do something where you have to be critical of them or...? Uh, yeah, particularly at the start. I, I, at the current squad, I only played club with a couple of them, and Larissa Muldoon was the only one that I played international with. But the 2017 World Cup was particularly difficult because they weren't playing well, and a lot of my friends and teammates from 2014 were on that squad. But I suppose for the integrity of the game and the integrity of what I do, I have to call it out as I see it. And um, I would always say it to their face anyway, so it's not as if I was just dishing them on TV. I, I, I would always say it to their face. And even after every game, I would have rang them. I'm sure they saw my phone number coming up going, oh, fuck, she's going to be giving us an earphone now. Um, but look, I know they respected me. Likewise, I respected them from what we'd been through together. And um, yeah, like, as I said, it was all just honesty. And, and I think the better for the game, because if something happened on the TV and I'm not calling it out, like, I look like a dope and the game looks terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fards, when I hear Fiona talking about World Cup semi-final and uh, how hard it is to lose that. I, I haven't met anyone that has played and lost in a World Cup final. Um, uh, incredible achievement, obviously, getting there and, and you played so well. And I remember that Bledisloe Cup game you played before the World Cup. You were incredible and then had a brilliant World Cup in an unbelievable back row yourself, uh, Michael Hooper and, and, and Pocock. Um, from the final, like, what's your, is that a hard memory for you to think back or what are your takeaway memories it just goes a flash. Like it, it happened so quick. I remember being just a crazy quick game, and and then winning that you know that last ten minutes of the first half and the first ten minutes of the second half, and just cost us so dearly. And um, yeah, like it was, it's it's disappointing. And, and looking back on it, we didn't win it, so that's what we're all about. We had this grand plan of going and winning it, and that doesn't happen. And there's a there's a big you know kind of hole there. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, well, I'm well over that, and I've gone on to to, to play in big games here at Leinster as well, so um, that helps recover from that. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, like, when you when you finish it, I don't envy guys going into a World Cup campaign. I, I think I said it to you when I saw you the other week. It, it, it's just it's just so mentally tough. Um, you know, such a long, long slog for them. Um, you know, you're away, I, I, you're away from July to November, um, I think I was home for three or four days in that in that in that space, just on the road in hotels. Um, you don't do your laundry, you don't cook, you don't do anything you normally would do. So, you know, by the time that kind of that, that's all kind of over, you're pretty happy to get home. Yeah. So, do you think we, we were talking just before you came on about the knock-on effect of, you know, like when when you lost to the All Blacks and when you lost to England? I don't think anyone would have ever criticised you really because it's. It's really the only the All Blacks that when they lose, that people just say, oh, they're losers. Like, the, the fact that he got to the World Cup semi-final, if you want, was, was a pretty phenomenal achievement, and the country was massively positive about it. And the fact that, as Australia, I, I know you would have seen that like, we, can, we can go on and win the World Cup, but it wasn't so much an expectation. So there's no real disappointment when you come off the back of a World Cup campaign like that. But how do you get yourself back up? And you think that England are going to struggle now off the back of how they went at the World Cup versus 
Ireland who are obviously feeling that they have a point to prove. Do you think that's going to have something to play this weekend? Um, yeah, I think England, um, they're still a bit all over the place in their squad selection. Um, you look at the back row and him moving Curry to number eight. I, I don't think it's working at the moment for him. I, I really don't see where he's going. You take a player out of where he's playing phenomenally well and move him to a new position. Um, so I think there's a bit of confusion there. He doesn't really know who his best nine is. There's a Hines, there's a Youngs. Um, I think to Alagi, if he comes back in, that disruption, do you start Farrell or four to 10 or do you move uh, to Alagi at 13? And there's Slade there as well. So I don't think um, Jones is as settled. However, I do think they're a squad that can rise it for one game. And I think we saw that in the World Cup. I don't think they played particularly well in the World Cup, but they played phenomenally well against New Zealand. Um, so I think they can pull it out of the bag for one game and particularly at home. Um, but I just think Ireland at the moment, I like the way that they're starting to play. Uh, you can see that they have got over the, the World Cup, uh, that it's on an up, upward trajectory and um, players have a lot more confidence in themselves. So um, I think Ireland are a better place going into it. It's just that away from home factor. Do you think there's anything in the theory about um, Ireland performing better? whenever they're less well-groomed dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hearing the dog chat earlier. I was like, I wonder what dogs were going to be called. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah in the past, dogs. I suppose, Ireland have performed better when they were underdogs. But I suppose... That's, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. oh, well, well worked. Touche. Well done. Um, yeah, but I think they need to get over that and they're good enough players to get over that. And when they're playing for the Provinces, particularly the Leinster boys, you know, they're at the top of the game and that's where they expect to be. So They're top dogs. The top dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I, I think it's more of a mental thing. They'll be physically prepared. They'll have, they have the right team selection, I think. And uh, it's that mental side of it. And they, they're stung and they're sore from last year against England. Just... Talking about all the, you're saying the momentum that's coming from the Leinster team, and, and Scott, you'd, you'd be playing with a lot of these young lads, and they're coming through, and it just seems, it doesn't seem to matter who, who lines out from 1 to 15 for Leinster now, they just seem to perform. But just putting yourself in, a, in, in the shoes of a lot of those young players coming through, you were quite a circuitous route to get to, to get to where you have been in rugby in terms of, I think it was at 24, you left, you left the force and went, went to Japan, and then ended up at 26, then getting your first cap, coming back to the Brumbies, then getting capped. But, you know, that, that's... How do you see that things are going to work out now? Can Leinster, like Leinster, eventually, these players are going to start stockpiling there at the moment. Where's that going to go for them? Particularly back row. It's a position where you pick up a lot of injuries. So, you know, you look at... You've got two world-class back rowers out at the moment, Jack Cohn and Dan Levy, and we've got you know, sevens in, um, you know, obviously Josh is with Ireland. Um, we've now got Will, Max and Caelan all with Ireland. So there's still opportunities for a guy like Scott Penny to play a lot. Um, Josh Murphy is, you know, he does a fantastic job for the province Dan all the time. Dan Levy come so back well. in the mix. Um, yeah, and Reese Raddick as well. So all those guys, they can do a job. And, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. And I don't envy Leo's job at any time because, you know, he's got to make some tough calls, especially when it comes to those big games. But... Um, I don't think anyone can complain that I get a shot because everyone gets a chance to, um, you know, to start for Leinster and play well and play in games. And um, that internal rivalry is, I think, drives performance. So um, knowing that, you know, you have a poor game and the next guy come in and take your spot. So you've got to make sure that's, that's going. And it happens at training and you're constantly competing with guys at training. Um, much to my 35-year-old detriment to trying to deal with 21-year-old kids full of beans, taking my head off in malls. But um, I think 
you know, do you think, you, do you, think you, you feel better now having started a little bit later? Yeah, I think, I'd, you know, it does help. I mean, some guys are, you know, genetically, you know, look at, we were talking about it today with Brad Thorne, you know, he was playing rugby league and like 19 for the Broncos or 20 and then, you know, then going on and playing so many games, he was just such a genetic freak where, you know, this ability and then also on the back end of that, he was such a good pro, it looked after his body so well. Mm. So there is examples of guys that start early and, you know, finish late, but, um, you know, probably starting late and three years in Japan was, was great for the body as well. So, um, you know, allowed me to play a, a bit longer. And what what, what did you feel was actually restricted your progress? Because to go from 24 and, and possibly, you know, not, not progressing as you want with the Western force and going to Japan to suddenly 26 years of age and, and you're like, what was, the, was, it, was looking, it performance? It went, when I was just, so it was four super teams in Australia at that time and um, there's no rotation in the super squads at all. So um, there was no chance of me getting it, getting, unless there's a run of injuries. Um, there was no chance of me getting a run in, at the Western force at that time. The coach, coach wasn't a fan, like Simon, Simon from Sydney, but then, you know, really I was pretty, you know, lucky to hold a pad at some points. But, um, yeah, so then there was no real option and so I went to Japan from there and then, so I didn't, I just didn't really get a shot, didn't get a chance to play, so um, I'm not a great trainer, I never have been. Um, I'm not a great gym kind of trainer, I don't really like it that much in the gym. <laughs> and when I finish playing, I don't think I'll be in much of a gym, I won't much of a gym goer, so, um, you know, you look at the numbers and those things and guys will, you know, probably don't look like the, the greatest athlete and rugby. I just have to play to, to, to be noticed in some ways, so. And I probably didn't get that chance in, in that time. And I wouldn't change it, to be honest. You know, I've met some great people along the way. I've um, met a great mentor in Japan, in a guy called Peter Alatini, played for the centres for the All Blacks. And he was, he was fantastic for me when I went over there. And someone who, you know, showed me, you know, showed me how to play the game differently and taught me to enjoy the game, which, which was fantastic. And, um, you know, all those people that you meet along the way, you know, make you the player I am today. And, and you wouldn't change that for, for so for, for so the rotation seems to be the thing that was missing in your career the ability to get an opportunity but and Leo's obviously giving opportunity to all of these different players but at some stage those players are going are, are either going to get pissed off because they're not getting a regular start so so where do they go from there is, is it going abroad is it, is it at the moment obviously they're, they're working their way around the provinces which is good for Irish rugby but yeah, well, I'm not sure. It's up for the individual, and I, I, that player's still going to be in front of you. Um, you know, and some, it's the argument is, well, can you beat him from the inside or beat him from the outside? So if you go to another province or or go overseas, um, it's going to be difficult to to um, to beat that guy if you're not, you know, training with what we we think we have in at Leinster in world class coaches and world class S and Cs and all those things that are that are making you the player you are. So, and you know, what's special about Leinster is, you know as well as, like other provinces in Ireland, guys are from Leinster. Um, this, is what they, this is where they want to play, and this is their, you know, their dream. So, you know, these young kids I see that are running at half-time, they, they're the same kids that are, you know, 10 years ago were doing that and were are now playing for Leinster, which is special. And, um, you know, that's a big driving factor for these guys. And it's pretty amazing for, for a lot of them, which, which I'm, I'm quite jealous of, is, you know, they went to school with each other. You know, some of them, there's, you know, they know, they've known each other for... Since they were thirteen-year-old kids, you see James Ryan put up a photo of him and Max Deegan playing together for for Michaels, 
you know, when they were 12, 13 years old, and then now they're playing together for Ireland, which uh, most of my mates are working on the mines or <laughs> yeah, plumbers or whatever, just roofers and things like that. And back in Australia, we didn't we didn't get to have that experience together, and yeah. uh, I, I think that's a, that's an amazing amazing journey they're all going on together. Which yeah. um, you know, also, I think they're, they're all they're also uh, mature, like like they're just performing every week and. They're all youngsters. Like, are they any crack? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why they brought James Lowe in, I think, just to, to, to loosen up a bit. But they're actually great crack. Um, they, they put up with me, and, you know, which is an old grumpy bloke like me, who, who um, you know, I take the piss out of them a fair bit as well because they're, they're just so out of touch and so weird. So, um, <laughs> they, never, they never work or anything like that. So, you know, I like, to, yeah, I like yeah. to test them a bit on that factor because... Yeah, none, none of them have been north of Liffey either. Like they're just like south up. There's nothing there. wrong with the north yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> so there'll be a few north side guys. They're all strictly south Dublin. Yeah. Go to the same places, you know, eat at the same. So um, straight from south Dublin to Portugal. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of that kind of. Model, so. Elamore, uh, Fiona, are you seeing anything similar in the in the women's game? Where is there a convertible coming up? I mean, the, the the performance against Wales was incredible, and it was a squad performance. That's what I loved about it, and I love the story of Bevan Parsons. Now she's dropped out of the squad to do her leaving cert, which uh, is incredible to think. Uh, you know how good she is at that age. Is there a lot a lot more girls at that age coming through? Yeah, I suppose if you look at it, when we all started, we were probably starting in college. There was no underage rugby. Like to be honest with you, before I went to UL, I didn't even know women's rugby existed, even though I'd been ingrained in rugby my whole life but watching men's rugby so I didn't know it existed to see clubs now having mini girls teams youths and even some schools starting to um, produce some teams as well is really encouraging and there's definitely better pathways in place uh, Ireland have just announced an under 18 international training weekend away in Scotland Bavin Parsons obviously got her first cap at 16 and has progressed wonderfully and it's, it's a shame to be lose I'm a teacher but I'm like feck the mocks <laughs> to leave it's the important thing but look she's obviously very focused and driven in her studies as well and I think she wants to do medicine or something so look she's young enough she's going to have a fine career ahead of her but there's loads of those Dorothy Wall she's 19 she got her first cap this season Judy Bobbitt she was my mascot at one of the games in Ashburn about six years no ago way. she got her first start in November as well so these girls are coming through with a way better training age than we, we had when we got to international national level so their skills their fitness their understanding of the game is way way better so yeah we just need to keep improving the pathways to international level okay and then the weekend tough one against uh, against England you're going over to you yeah um it's on RT actually um yeah England are a different level they're now fully professional for years it was always like oh England are professional they actually are now in the last two years and yeah they're they're a different level I, Ireland will compete um Hopefully at scrum time, I think England haven't got the best scrummage and props. Mm. Um, Irish front row is smashing. The yeah, moment, they're right? doing really, really well. And, and, and the pack in general, the Ren scrum, have improved. Um, but look, England are a different level. You have the likes of Emily Scarrell. I don't know if anyone's ever seen her play, but she is world class. She's an absolute joy to watch. And Katie Daly McLean at 10. Like they just have that conveyor belt of players similar to Leinster that are just trucking it up. So it'll be a tough one. I think Ireland will be in it probably for the first half, but England will then kick on. Okay. Um, any predictions for the for the men's match then on Saturday? Yeah, um, I'm going to go Ireland by three. Um, as I said, 
I think squad selection is right. Um, I think Caelan Doris will get a good run out as well, but I think squad selection is right. Not just that they've won the previous two games, but because of the manner in which they're performing and the manner in which they're going. I think the players are confident and a good place as well. So I think Ireland the 23 are important, like, off the bench. Oh, yeah, yeah look, yeah. I, I know it's like they're not just subs or replacements anymore. Mm. You know, they're, they're finishers, and it's really important. The strength of your bench is, is so important. Yeah. Particularly when you see props know they're only going to get 50, 55 minutes and then there's going to be changes. So, yeah. yeah, the power of the bench is going to be important. So Ireland by three. Cool. Scott? Yeah, I think Ireland by... I think I'm on my 10. I think. Yeah, I'm just confident. I think some of the points made earlier, I think um, without the Villapola brothers, I think England are a different side. So um, obviously, Billy taking him the, the amount of tacklers as he does every time he carries. And you see on the back of that, um, the other players don't get the, the go forward that, that they get on the back of Billy. So, um, and, and same with the nine. Um, with the two nines, so not knowing exactly which nine they're going to pick at the moment in England, so um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they do pick and, and how they go. Okay. I love it. All right, look, we've had a great night. Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, a round of applause for the Penguins for coming out tonight. Uh, thank you so much to Scott Fardy and to Fiona, Fiona Cochran for coming along. A round of applause to the two of them as well, please. Cheers to everyone that was involved in making the show, all the staff in Cafe Onsen. This has been Baz and Andrews, House of Rugby, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Party on. Party on. You were listening to Baz and Andrews, House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Cheers, John. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.